love that song because it literally takes scripture and puts it into song format. So with that, let's move into our spoken word for today. Our verse is going to come from 1 John chapter 2, where we will go through most of the chapter during the sermon, but let's just isolate a couple verses here at the beginning. Starting in verse one, it says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father. Jesus Christ is the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also the sins of the whole world. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, even before we take a step, I know that life hits in so many different ways. Just this morning, I heard about a friend's mother who passed away and the 7.246 earthquake that hit Haiti. God, we are truly in times of tribulation, but we're grateful that you are God that stands above it all. God, you reign on your throne and you have given us hope for a future. So God, today, I pray that our minds would be set on you, that we would have a heart that is open to what you have to say and a a spirit that is willing and eager to hear from you. I pray that I would not be a stumbling block, Lord, but that your word would ring true, would not return back void, and that I would have a special blessing for us that we can apply not just today, but every day, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Let us hear your gospel message. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of the sermon is Christ is, so I am. It's very singular. We can apply it. Christ is, so I am. It can also be applied in a plural setting. Christ is, so we are. You see, we, the, it's so important to know who Christ is because it will dictate everything else that we do. Okay. So it's like when I was a child. Okay. And actually, even to this day, I can't even say child because this is currently a situation that happens. Now, my mother is a beautiful Puerto Rican. She's basically like, she's the best of both worlds. She's Ellen White in spirituality, but Beyonce and everything else. Okay. Like she is beautiful. And my dad, okay. She, they got together and they fell in love and they had me and they had my brother. Now I came out looking a lot like my mom. Thankfully, praise the Lord, everybody. Okay. I love you, dad though. Love you. Uh, but I used to all the time when I go out with my mom, we get this, this phrase, oh my word, you guys are sister. Oh my goodness. You guys are twins. Right. And most of the time that's pretty advantageous for both my mom and I. Okay. Because it makes me realize that, Hey, when I'm 48 years old, I'm going to look like I'm 20. Thank you. And my mom, who is 48 years old, is like, wow, like I still got it. Right. So it's advantageous for everyone until you enter my dad into the picture. It's a good thing that my dad has a good self-esteem, very high confidence because we'll be welcoming people. My dad is a a preacher. He's a pastor. And so he will preach. And then often the family goes in the back and we'll shake hands and all that stuff. So they'll come through to churches that have never met us before. Wow, pastor, you have a beautiful family, your daughters and your son say hello to your wife for us when you get home. (laughs) And then my mom, of course, has to, oh no, like I'm the husband, right? Or like, this is my husband. I'm the wife. And what I realized from from this is, is that our perception of someone 
often forms our conception of them. The way that we perceive, so if they're, they're, take these people, for example, they're looking at the family and they're saying, obviously, these are the two young women. They're young and they're vibrant and they're, they're sisters, right? But we look over here and we have the dad beard and the dad bod. And so obviously this is the father, right? Their, their perception of our family then influences their conception, who they believe we are to be. And the same thing goes with God. When we read the word of God, who do we perceive God to be? Therefore, who do we understand him to be? And this is the issue that John is writing to, right? When he's writing these letters, he's realizing that the people of the church are dealing with others who don't know who God is. Their perception of God is influencing their conception of him and therefore turning people astray. I know that Michelle last week went over a few of the ideas that were floating around at the time. And so John has to come back and put a stance to who God is and who his son, Jesus Christ is as well. And so he has kind of this cyclical structure throughout the letters. It's not really linear like we're maybe used to, or you see in Romans how Paul is building up an argument. No, John decides to use this, this structure that if you could imagine like Jimmy Neutron, right? Jimmy Neutron. Is that even how it goes? I don't remember, but I, I'm aging myself. Hopefully you can picture like the name Jimmy Neutron and then the neuron, right? Like or the neutron right back there. Like that is the structure that John is using. And he's coming back to who God is and the three pillars that he is talking about is that God is life, God is love, and God is truth, right? So he plays on these different aspects time and time again as he comes back and cycles through them, all having to do with the other. Now, your job today, something that I want you to do is to listen close, listen close to what God is saying to you, because we're going to go over some different aspects of his character. And there may be one that you're sure of. You're like, yes, that I know I've experienced that, but maybe there is an area that you need from Christ and that you don't even realize that you do listen close, hone in, allow the spirit to guide you to the different areas that we're going to cover today, because this chapter is full of good stuff. And I'm, I'm coming in as much of the chapter that I can, which is unusual. Usually we kind of hone into a center, but there's, I just couldn't, I couldn't just pick one. I was like, no, we have to go through most of the chapter. So go back through yourself and allow God to speak with you. But Let's see what John has to say of who Christ is and how that influences us because we're made in the image of God. Therefore, who God is will directly influence who we think that we are, our understandings, even not of just of God, but of ourselves. So he starts, and we started already with the verse of who God is. He said, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, and this caveat is so important because the but right there, we already know if anyone does sin, hey, that's us, right? There's not a, a license to sin, but hey, we have a backup when we do. Here we go. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Christ is our advocate. So I am supported. Another way of saying it is Christ is our advocate. So I am not alone. I am never alone. You are never alone. You are supported. I think 
being alone, loneliness is arguably one of the most difficult feelings that we go through. And 2020 into 2021 has really brought that to a head, right? Quarantine and isolation from the world in different ways, not being able to gather together like we normally do in our spaces. I mean, being alone, this is something that we realize, hey, this is hard. But the Bible reminds us that we are always supported. We are always advocated for. So we don't have to stay in this box of loneliness. No, we have someone on our side because it's so difficult when we're not backed up, when we aren't supported, when we feel like we don't have a crew or a posse or someone there to say, hey, I'm going to vouch for you. I remember in sixth grade, I, listen, just a caveat. This is the preacher being vulnerable. You got to pray for the preacher. Okay. Because I am saved, but I'm a saved diva. Okay. All right. We got who else can testify, right? We've got some saved divas in the house. All right. So my husband can attest. I'm still, I'm still a drama queen. Okay. I'm still a queen bee. Okay. But I'm saved by grace, by faith through nothing. Praise God. Okay. So this is sixth grade. Therefore, um, when it comes to development of character, perhaps I have not re- reached uh, the point of a, yeah, let's just say I was, this is BC. Let's just say it like that. Okay. And I learned my first lesson of leadership, not in a book, not in a Sabbath school class. No, it was in my sixth grade classroom because I had a posse. All right. So it was me and I was queen B and I had friends and like, I didn't want to be a mean girl. So I, I don't think I was a mean girl, but I was bossy. Oh, Lord, I was bossy. And so there was this time that it was just an all out revolt (laughs) against me. Okay, so I was bossy to the point where they were just like, we're fed up. And so all five of them just left me like they didn't talk to me. They didn't sit with me at lunch. They didn't play with me at recess. So there I was playing tetherball by myself, you know. I won every game, but it was still very lonely. And I remember trying to kind of like, okay, maybe I can get on the inside and like find the weak link of like the person that I can get to infiltrate that. And still nothing. I was completely alone. There was no one in my corner. And what was worse was that I was guilty. (laughs) Like I knew why. And so I didn't know how to get people back. See, the beautiful thing about God, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he is our advocate and we are guilty. Okay, can we just take a second, right? We we aren't innocent. Like, it's not like we are upstanding citizens and we can go forth with a clean state and make it really easy for God to be our advocate, for Christ to be our advocate, right? No, 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 our hands are stained. We are wearing the, literally the, the stains of sin. We are marred, we are in the dirt. We're in the muck. Our good deeds are dirty rags. We have nothing to offer. And still Jesus, he backs us up. Somebody say amen. He backs us up. He supports us, even though we don't deserve it. We have nothing good to bring. And yet God says, I know, I know you did that. In fact, that is my job. That is why I am your advocate. I'm your advocate with the father. And it's not because the father feels a certain type of way about us, right? Oh, that God has to, Jesus has to come and appease father. Please love your people again. I promise they're not all bad. Like that's not what it is. Our father, our heavenly father really hates sin as he should. 
as we should, because we see the effects of sin every single day, every single day in every element of our life. But because we have an advocate, we also see the effects. Somebody say amen. We see the effects of saving grace in our life. Okay. We see the way that God is moving in our life in spite of our sin. And so we have an advocate. We have backup. It's like that Marvel Endgame scene when you have Cap saying on your left, and here we go. We have not one, not two, but a multitude of superheroes backing each other up to fight the enemy. We are backed up. We are not alone. And we think so often that Christianity is being a Christian means being perfect. And Michelle hit on this perfectly last week. As Christians, we aren't the examples of how to be perfect. Are you kidding me? We're, we're obviously aware of our failings. No, no, no. We are not examples of how to be perfect. But we know we have an advocate. So we are examples of how to get back up. How to get back up from our pit of sin. How to get back up from that temptation falling. How to get, up, how to get back up and continue on the journey that is set before us. Because we have a God who is our advocate. We are never alone. We are supported. Now, if that's not enough gospel for you, get ready because there's more, okay? John isn't holding back. The next thing that he says, an aspect of God, who he is, so that we can say, this is who I am too. He says he is the propitiation, we'll come back to that word, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Mm, 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 mm. God is our atonement. So I am covered. Hmm. Christ is our atonement. So I am covered. Okay. This word propitiation, right? Notice how it comes. He's the propitiation for our sins. And then the verse right after that, he says, and by this, we know there's a confidence. We know that we have come to know him speaking of God. If we keep his commandments, okay, this order is super important. Christ is the atonement. He's our propitiation. So we know him by keeping his commandments. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. Okay. This word propitiation, it is meaning to regain favor or goodwill and to put people in right standing uh, in appeasing sacrifice. And of course, we know this has Jesus written all over it. Jesus is the one who stands in the gap for us. He puts a covering over us. He is the appeasing sacrifice, something that we could never do by ourselves. Jesus Christ did for us without us asking or deserving it. He gives himself fully and completely for us. And so we come to this next portion, right? He is our atoning sacrifice. He is a propitiation for our sins. So we will know God. When we have kept his commandments, why is this so important? Because we like to get hung up on the keeping the commandments part. Listen, if you're not living a life right, then you don't know God. You don't know God. We love to make it something legalistic when in reality, it's really something that is encased in the gospel. Here is what he is saying here. 
what are the commandments? Okay, this is the first question we have to ask. What are the commandments? Now, we know we have the Ten Commandments. Of course, these are the laws that God has given us on how to live life and live it abundantly. However, Jesus expands on this, and I love it, right? Because he doesn't rewrite the law. No, he comes to fulfill it, and he comes to clarify it, right? When we get so lost in our mess, God is always reaching out to us. And so like the Pharisees, so often we like to put things in a box. What does it mean to keep God's law? What does it mean to to keep the Sabbath? Okay. Well, Jesus very simply says, listen, the greatest commandment is this, because they're trying to trap him in this question. Teacher of all the laws, which one is the greatest one? He says, you shall love the Lord, your God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend on all the law and the prophets. So you want to summarize the law of God? You want to summarize the commandments? It's this, love God and love people. Very easy. So what I'm telling you right now is that if you are keeping God's law and it causes you to hate your brother, you're not keeping God's law. I don't know what law you're keeping, but it's not God's. Because if you were to summarize everything, it's love God and love people. In fact, the Ten Commandments, what they do is they help us realize it. God gives us a blueprint, instructions, an assembly packet of how to love God and love people. Because we don't know how to do it in and of ourselves. We would love people poorly. We would love God poorly right? And so the 10 commandments says, listen, you want to love your parents? You should honor them. You want to love your spouse? Don't commit adultery. You want to love your neighbor? Don't lie. Don't kill. Don't covet what they have. You want to love God? Listen, don't put anything above him. Don't be idolatrous, right? Love the Lord, your God with all your heart and love people as you love yourself. These are the commandments. And so it's so clear here that God's law is love right? God's law, it is only, we're only able to fulfill God's law because of the atoning sacrifice. This is why the order that John talks about is so important. We are not covered by Jesus's atonement because of the fact that we keep the law. Nope, 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 nope. He says super clear, listen, God is your propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice for you. So now you want to get to know that God, Listen, now he is going to be the one to help you to keep his law because his law is love. You will learn how to love others. You will learn how to love God through this loving relationship with Christ. That is how you're able to do it. And that's why he says, listen, if you say, oh, yeah, I love God, but you don't love his commandments, then you're a liar. There is no truth in you. (laughs) Why? Because God's law is his love. It's a revelation of his character. It's a restoring back to the original intent of of the garden. It's the blueprint for now. So you think you're free, but you're really living in sin. And God is like, that's not of me. I want to free you from that. I don't want you to be stuck in your cycles. I don't want you to be a slave to your lust. I don't want you to have these hands in everything where you're never satisfied no 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 no. that is not me that's why that that is a lie because i am truth life and love so let's come back listen god's atoning sacrifice it covers us not so we can sin more it covers us so that we can know more about jesus Mm, 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 mm. this is a good word god this is a good word listen our good works 
okay? The fruits of the spirit are not the root of our salvation. They are the fruit of our salvation. Salvation begins and ends with Jesus Christ alone. There is nothing that we can do to put it on the table and say, hey, look, I've done all this. Now I can be saved, right? No, no, no. In fact, these good works come. That's why he says at the end, he says, listen, we when, when God's law is in our hearts, God's love is perfected, right? He says, I know him. He says, whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. Because the reality is that our good works is not the root of our salvation. It's the fruit of our salvation. God is our atonement. So I am covered. I am free to live in a loving relationship with Christ because he has built the bridge that I broke. Mm. All right. I'm sure I can end the sermon there, but John isn't done. So we have to do a little bit more and and then we'll come to a close. He says, Listen, I'm writing you something that isn't new in verse seven, okay? He says something that's not new. In fact, it's old, but I'm reframing it. Maybe a new revelation for you so you can help. I can help you understand it a little bit better. He says, it is a new commandment I'm writing to you, which is true in him because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Mm, mm -mm. Whoever says he's in light and hates his brother, hey, guess what? Still in darkness. Yep, still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light and in him, there is no cause for assembling. But whoever hates his brother, hey, guess what? They're in. That's right. You got it. Darkness. And he walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There's two things that I think John is talking about here. The first is that there is going to be an end to darkness. In fact, the light is in our midst and it is pushing out the darkness. And I want to say hallelujah for that because this world can be so dark sometimes and we can get just stuck. We're watching, we're watching the news and we're just like, again, another thing, another thing. We turn on the TV, we look at our phones, an earthquake and COVID death and this and a pandemic and all of this. Oh my goodness. But there is hope, right? Jesus Christ is the light of the world. So I am hopeful. That's right. Jesus is the light of the world. So I am hopeful. I know that there, this world is not the end. There is something I can look forward to. This is, I can hold on to this hope tightly because God is faithful and he has never forsaken me. He will never fail. And I think the other thing that John is pointing at here is obviously loving your neighbor, right? He's talked about it already once before. Listen, if you're going to, if you say you love God, but you don't keep his law, you're, you're a liar. Yeah. And if you say you love God and you hate your neighbor, you can't there. That doesn't work because God's law is love God and love your neighbor. They, they are synonymous, right? So he's saying, listen, a surefire way to come to Jesus is if you try to love others, Because you're going to soon find out when you interact with ignorance enough, you're going to know, you know what? I can't do this by myself. Mm, Lord, I cannot do this by myself. I'm going to need you and your saving grace to help me through this conversation because it was up to me. I would choose murder. All right. So I need you to choose love on my behalf. Okay. I need you to choose grace and forgiveness on my behalf because I can't find I'm looking for it and I can't find it. Okay. So it's going to have to come from you. He's saying, listen, Christ is light. So I can love. You see, this love comes only 
from God. And he helps us love others effectively. He helps us love the crazy. He helps us love our crazy, right? He, because God is all of these things. Now we have the tools that we need to love our neighbor even better. And the last thing that he says, and I love this one, man, I could do a whole sermon just on this, but we just, we're just using it to close today. In verse 15, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. And they went out from us. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I skipped down. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father. Right. And that makes sense. If it's pride and flesh and Desires of the eyes, of course, it's not coming from God because those are all self-centered. No, God is like, love God and love people. It's always this outward. It's never internal. It's never self-centered is what I'm saying. And the world is passing away. So don't love the world and its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, Jesus Christ is the real thing. So I can be satisfied. Jesus Christ is the world real thing. So I can be satisfied because here's the thing about the world. It's a counterfeit. Everything that the world offers you is a cheapened verse, cheapened, broke down version of what God truly has to offer you. And it will always leave you empty. You see, he's saying, what is the world, right? Because the world can be this large thing. Are we just supposed to forsake everything and not engage in every, anything in our culture? Impossible. Jesus himself was shaped by culture. So what is he saying here? He's like, hey, you know what the world is? It's the pride of life, desires of the eyes and the flesh. Essentially anything that is only beneficial to yourself. It doesn't extend outward at all. It is self centered because the word that he uses here, the word love, he said, if you love the world, you don't love your father. This word is agape and agape is contextualized in two parties, right? Two parties who are loving each other unconditionally, which is why the the word is saying, listen, that cannot happen in the world because the world will never love you unconditionally. There's always a catch. There's always something you're going to have to give up. There's always something you're going to have to sacrifice. There's always something else. Listen, you can build up your empire. You can forget about your family because they're still going to be there. But when you're super rich, then they'll, then you can come back and, you know, you can splurge on those spoils together or, Hey, you want to be rich and famous. Well, great. You have to give up some of your morals and stuff like that. But Hey, you know, that's okay. Like when you get to where you want to be, then you can set some boundaries for yourself. Like the world is not unconditional. There is always a condition, which is why he's saying, listen, the world and God are polar opposites. They're oil and water. What the world has to offer you, I promise will leave you thirsty. But Jesus Christ is the living water. One drink of him and you will never thirst again. He is the real thing. So we can be satisfied. So I want to give you some practical tips here at the end. Something you can take and you can apply this week. All right. How do we love God over loving the world, right? Because the reality is we're in this mess all the time. Well, the first thing is an illustration. If you have two children and you spend all of your time with one child, everything you do is dedicated to that one child. The other one might as well not exist. (laughs) How do you think that other child is going to feel? They're going to say, oh, mommy loves my sibling more than me. Why? Because all of their attention and time is spent on the one. So let's analyze and really actually look at your phone, 
It'll tell you your screen time. Okay. Analyze how much time you're spending on your apps, how much time you're spending on, you know, things that are of entertainment or whatever it may be. How much time are you spending in those things as compared to the time that you're intentionally spending with God? Okay. And at least even them up, even them out. And then eventually you want to obviously weigh them differently. Limit your intake, right? Be selective uh, with what you allow into your life, have discernment and then pray this prayer. Holy spirit. Can you point out some things that I need to remove in my life? Listen, when I tell you that only the Holy spirit is the one who can remove those things. Yeah. He's going to start pointing stuff out. And you're like, really? That if somebody else pointed it, you'd be like, "Uh, uh-uh, no way. Not the bachelor. Absolutely not. I could not. Nope. That's my show. And the Holy spirit is like, yeah, but is it like, is it beneficial for you? You know, it's only the Holy Spirit who's going to be able to point out certain things in your life that you can let go of that will continue to uh, enrich your relationship with God. And last is to pray, God, purify my motives. Ask, why am I doing this? Am I doing what I'm doing because I want riches, fame, fortune? I want to get my, my reputation out there. I want to build repertoire. Like, why am I doing what I'm doing? God, purify my motives, please, please, please. This chapter has a bunch of good stuff. I encourage you to go back and read it for yourself. Allow God to speak to you because we have learned that God, he is our advocate. So we are not alone. He is our atonement. So we are covered. He is the light of the world. So we are hopeful. We can love others more effectively. And he is the real thing. So we are satisfied. The world wants to say, you know what? You are valuable when you do something. We do, so we are. But Christ says, you know what? I am, so you are. I am everything you need. I am, so you are. What aspect of Christ do you need a reminder of today? What do you need him to be in your life? What else are you asking for? God, please be more of this. I need to feel supported, God. I need direction in my life. I need your light. I need to learn how to love my neighbor better because their political views are very different from mine, right? I need you to be this in my life. I want to pray for you. And I want to, I want to pray that God would speak to your heart this week and he would guide you towards that thing that you need most. Let's pray together. Our gracious heavenly father, we're grateful that you are a God who has never left us alone. Lord, you are so good. We can sing your praises all day and never come to an end. And we look forward to the day when day and night, night and day, our incense will arise to you as we sing around your throne. Lord, you are coming back for us. You have not forgotten us and we are not alone. Lord, I pray over each individual in this um, in this setting, God, whether they're remote or in their, they're in person, Lord, you know their needs, you know what they desire and you know, Oh, what they are so longing for. And I pray that you would fulfill all of it, God, that you would be what they need and therefore they can learn who they are. Lord, I pray that you would restore us in right relationship with you each and every day. God, draw us close to your heart. Help us understand the gospel each and every day. And may we love others as you love us. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.